Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Psalm 23? Psalm 23. If you're new to the Bible, let me give you a quick trip, a, a quick trick. If you're new to the Bible, when you open it up, the Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. Most Bibles, you open up right in the middle, you hit the Psalms. Uh, and so for me, I notice in Psalm 23 that it's a little bit to the left of middle. Psalm 23 is where we are as we're being introduced to our good shepherd. Jesus said, and I believe him, he tells us that he is the good shepherd. He's not a hireling. He is not a bad shepherd. He takes good care of us and lays his life down for us. But what does a shepherd look like? We're a little bit disconnected from the picture of shepherd and sheep. What does the good shepherd look like? Well, David, this young shepherd boy, that was propelled and handpicked by God to be the king of Israel, sat down to pen a psalm many years ago. In the New King James Version, it's only six verses, about 117 words, yet it's full of timeless truths. And it's true, my friend. God's word is one of the greatest sources of encouragement that we have. In Psalm 119, verse 14, it says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. The word of God is more valuable than all the money in the world and brings encouragement, not, not temporary encouragement, not false encouragement, but deep encouragement to our souls. When tough times came to this man by the name of Job, remember, it wasn't his friends that uplifted him. It wasn't his wife. It wasn't even his own opinions. It wasn't his own abilities. What was it that brought Job encouragement? Job 23 verse 12 says, I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so what does the Holy Spirit teach us through David in Psalm 23? Last time we learned that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jehovah is my shepherd. We don't just have any shepherd. We have God, creator God with all his character and nature. He's the one that takes care of us. The one that gives us contentment and peace. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. Only our shepherd can provide safe conditions that we might rest. And there are times when we rest on our own and there are times when the shepherd makes us rest, nourishing us, replenishing us by the green pastures and still waters. Verse three says he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Our good shepherd restores to us deep what's been stolen away in our minds and the deepest emotions of our heart. And let's pick up in verse four where we left off last time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is with us 
Even in that valley that's full of destruction and death, yes, God is with me and I'm not alone. If you're in Christ today, he'll never leave you in life, neither will he leave you in death. He will always be with you and you will always be with him. For the shepherd and the sheep, out in the arid terrains of the fields, dangers lurked. They weren't always in the highlands of the green pastures and the clear streams. At some occasions, the sheep needed to be taken through the valley. It was safer to go through the valley for the sheep, even though the valley posed its own dangers. As believers, we use, as Christians, we use this this picture, these pictures to describe things in our lives. For example, when we go through something really great and wonderful, we call it that mountaintop experience, where we're in the highlands of our relationship with the Lord, the good times, the great times. And then when we begin to to go through difficulties and hardships, we'll often refer to that as the valleys. And when we compare the valleys to the highlands, through to the mountaintops, almost all of us prefer the mountaintop experiences. Who doesn't? I prefer mountaintop experiences. I've been through the valley of the shadow of death. I've walked through this very dark, difficult valley. And I'm certain that so many of you have as well. And if I could avoid the valley, I would. If I could sidestep it and go from peak to peak in my life, I would. But that's not God's will for my life. And it's not God's will for your life. He will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. David knew this. He knew of all the dangers that came against the sheep. The rampaging rivers and flood stage, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous animals, poisonous plants, predators on every side. There was the weather, sleet, hail, snow, and all sorts of storms. But for the shepherd, nothing took him by surprise. He was ready. He was ready, how? By being with the sheep. He was ready to take care of the flock because he was with the flock. One of the things that we teach the men here in the school ministry, the men and the women in school ministry, the pastoral team here, is that the Bible teaches us that we're to shepherd the flock that's among us. You see, we're not the primary shepherds of the church. Jesus is the chief shepherd. That places us in a position of leadership as under shepherds. We are to care for the flock on behalf of Jesus Christ. He's entrusted that to us. And we're instructed in the Bible that we're to shepherd the flock that's among us. We're we're not to be above them. We're not to be below them. We are them. (laughs) We are sheep. And our primary ministry is to be among the flock, to be with one another, to be available. And the shepherd was with the flock. I have found in my life that the good news of the gospel brings to me, brings to my mind, brings to my remembrance the necessary perspectives that I so greatly need. Like I could get caught up in the valley and be so fearful and so worried and so concerned and so hurt and I could cry till I don't have any more tears. Or I can be in the valley and be hurt and be in pain and have tears flowing from my eyes but remember that the shepherd's with me. The shepherd's with me. I'm not going to fear evil. He's going to take care of me. 
He is with me. And I have that necessary perspective. I find, even in the valley that we're in right now, this era of restrictions and lack of fellowship and all the things that we're going through, unbelievable. And besides the things that you're going through, on top of this, your personal family drama. I know you don't want it, but it's there. Your own mental tor- turmoil that's in your mind. I know you don't want it, but it's there. Your own financial challenges, your wayward kids that break your heart. We, we have our eyes kind of on this main crisis, but this main crisis has only revealed so much more pain and hurt and difficulty and impatience, on and on it goes. But the gospel, the shepherd, you know, when we get to John chapter 10, we're going to learn another perspective about the good shepherd, and that is the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. We don't just hear anybody's voice. We don't just listen to anyone's opinion. We, we know what the shepherd says. And when we hear his voice, we're reminded of his presence. It's not just for his instruction, but his presence. He's with us. And when, he, when I know he's with us and I hear his voice, I have the right perspective. My priorities are back in order. Like the things that matter, number one is my relationship with God. That is supreme. I'm to love the Lord God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And then secondly, I'm to love my family, my wife, my children, and my, those that I'm allowed to be a part of their lives. They, they are to get my full presence and love. It's so good. It's so wonderful. Then I have my church family. What a blessing it is to be a part of this church family. And, and for those that I'm, a, I'm allowed to be around, those I'm allowed to serve, love, love, love. Priorities. And then, of course, there's my community. That God has called me here to Colorado to serve this community in this time, in this season. That I know the shepherd is near, so I have the right priorities. That all of my energies and effort needs to, be, needs to go into pouring into my relationship with God and loving my neighbor as myself. But dark times do come. Dark times come and shadows are all around me. And if I'm not careful, I'll forget the shepherds with me. And then I'll have the wrong perspective. We all face the floods of pain and the avalanches of dreams crumbling. We all face the poisonous plants of this world that I'll sometimes choose to nibble on. Predators are before me and behind me. Hail, storms, snow abound. But the Lord is my shepherd, and I'll fear no evil. Why? Well, he says something interesting. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were part of the toolkit of the shepherd. And what David's saying here is that the tools of the shepherd bring comfort. And I started thinking about that. Like, for example, if you're going to a dentist for the first time, a dental appointment, and you don't know them, you've never done this, it's a brand new intake, and you're going to the dentist for the first time, and you show up into the room, into the examination room, and they sit you down, and instead of the typical dental tools, like, it's not like you're a master dentist or anything, you don't know all the tools, but you know the things that are, den- instead of the dental tools, you see a, a bandsaw, and a chainsaw, and you know, a hammer, and you see construction tools. That's not gonna comfort you. You came, you came to a dental office, and whether you realize it or not, seeing the things that are familiar to you, seeing the right tools, is going to give you some comfort that the person using those tools knows how to use them. Like you will have 
encouragement. It won't encourage you to see a regular drill there. I mean, it may not encourage you so much to see a dental drill there, but I'll tell you this, you'd rather see a dental drill than one of those big old drills that you used for construction. See, the tools in our minds, we automatically associate the tools, the right tools and the right hands bring us comfort. And I love that. The rod and the staff, they bring us comfort. You know, for shepherds in Jesus' day, there were some typical tools that the shepherd had. First of all, he would be wearing a cotton tunic that was held together by a cord or a leather belt. And it was on that belt that hung very important tools in order for him to properly care and tend his precious and priceless flock. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. The first thing a shepherd would have is a little leather pouch. And I kind of picture it maybe a fanny pack. And in that leather pouch, he'd put his lunch, some small stones, just little things that he would carry around. Secondly, he would have a sling, a slingshot. And he would use this ancient Middle Eastern sling to both scare off predators and to draw back his wandering sheep. An experienced shepherd would have such precise aim that he'd be able to drop a stone right in front of the nose of a straying sheep, helping it draw it back to the flock. David would be familiar with the sling and that's how he defeated Goliath. God used a sling and a stone. Thirdly, he'd have a horn or a container of oil. He would anoint the heads of his sheep as an insect repellent to reduce the friction between the sheep when their head butted each other. And you'll see in a moment when we come to verse five, he'll anoint the head with oil. We'll get into that a little more. The final two tools that he carried was the staff and the rod. Let's start with the staff. The staff was a large stick about seven or eight feet long with a crook at one end at the top. The shepherd would use to hook lambs to gently touch them, move them in the right place. As a sheep was headed in the wrong direction, he could course correct them. He'd also walk around with it to keep balance and have it with them all the time. We, we have it, if you notice on the, the, the word that we use for this series, with, and the W here, it's crafted into the W with, you had that long street with the crook at the top, and you would understand that. Anybody would see that. Most people would say, oh, that's a shepherd's staff, and that would bring great comfort to the sheep. It's not like they could explain it or write a paper on it. I mean, the only thing they could look at the thing and go, bah, and just like, yep, that's the shepherd, but you would know. And you and I, having so much more intelligence than a sheep, knows that our shepherd is near. And on occasion, we need to be nudged or pulled by the shepherd. The final tool that's used by the shepherd is the rod. Now, the rod is a small, club-like instrument that was used to fight off predators in close hand-to-hand -hand combat situations. The rod was also used as an instrument of correction. And as one commentator wrote, if, the lamb would if a lamb would continually, persistently, and rebelliously wander away from the flock, which was really bad because remember, sheep follow sheep. So if there was always a rebellious one, button heads all the time, going off, leading other sheep in the wrong, what the shepherd would do is he would take his rod and break one of the sheep's, that rebellious sheep's legs. Then he would take that lamb and put it on his shoulders and carry it until its legs were healed. When at last the lamb was again able to walk on its own, because of the bonding that took place during the time of the shepherd carrying it and bringing it back to healing, it never again wandered. And that's a sweet picture of a shepherd with its sheep. 
Not only does the rod comfort me, but the Lord loves me with that rod. He uses that rod on you and me as well to bring brokenness into our lives. He uses the rod to discipline us. And when you think of the word discipline, I want you also to think of the word training. That there is pain that God will use in our lives to train us. And he will also use pain in our lives. Not only bring pain, but use pain in our lives to train us. Because the Bible teaches us, if God doesn't discipline us, then we wouldn't be his kids. Discipline is training. And sometimes the Lord has to break the leg, if you will, to keep us from straying away and destroying our lives. Letting the consequences of our sins bring us to a place of halting, bring us to a place of coming to the end of ourselves so that we might return to the Lord. And as we do return to the Lord, there's a bonding that takes place. Many times that correction will come through another brother or another sister that God will use to train us and to humble us What we might interpret as embarrassment is actually not embarrassment at all. It is an opportunity to be humbled and to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God if we've made a mistake or if we've erred in our ways. I can think of many, many, many times where God has used a brother or a sister or my wife or my kids to bring great discipline into my lives, to bring a word of correction, to bring a word of rebuke. One I remember very early on in ministry. I was serving as the children's ministry coordinator, serving alongside and under my pastor. His name is Rudy. Rudy is the pastor still today of the children's ministry. And on a Wednesday night, we would have about 300 kids come out and all the teachers filled with the whole back area of our church building. And I would serve him and I would help him oversee and I'd check in all the classes and I'd count the number of kids that were there and make sure the teachers had. It was a wonderful opportunity to serve and I've counted a great privilege. On one occasion, Pastor Rudy was going on vacation and he asked me, and I thought it was an amazing thing that he asked me, he said, I would like you to oversee the ministry while I'm away. And I said, of course, I'd love to do that. And I would like you to oversee the ministry the way I would oversee it as if I was here. He didn't want me to make any changes. He wanted it to be as regular as possible while he was gone. And I said, absolutely. And so I showed up that Wednesday night and I oversaw. I unlocked the gates. I unlocked the door. I hung the signs. I got the curriculum. And I came and served. And as I was doing my rounds... There was an unruly child in one of the classrooms. The teacher called me in. I ended up removing that child, taking him back to the resource room. We had a couple of chairs there where children that didn't want to cooperate in class would sit there until the end of the service with adults watching them until the end of the service. And then when his parents came back, he had to come, the parents had to come and pick them up personally, which is what happened. The service ended, the parents came in, they were a little upset, so I took them into an empty classroom, I ministered to them, we talked to them. I personally thought it went really well. I prayed for them, they went home, I closed up and then I went home and then it was a few days after Pastor Rudy got back from vacation that I got a phone call and he wasn't, he wasn't super angry but he wasn't super happy either. And he says, Ed, what did you do? 
And I said, what do you mean, what did I do? Uh, what happened on that Wednesday? I said, well, it was great. Everything was great, wonderful. It was exactly as you wanted it. And he says, no, it wasn't exactly as I wanted it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, something happened with a family. I said, yeah, something happened, but it was a great, it was, nothing happened. It was great. I prayed with them. We handled it. We took care of it. And he says, no, you didn't take care of it. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, what happened is that family was really mad at me and they weren't happy with the way things went and they didn't like it. They blamed me for whatever their kids did and they called Pastor Jeff to complain about that young guy that there's not even a pastor there on Wednesday night. They just let anybody run children's ministry and it was a mess. And I made it worse by not telling Pastor Rudy because he had trained me well. He trained me to communicate well with him and to tell him of anything that, I, that happened and to report to him everything. But, but since I thought I handled it well, I didn't think it was something he needed to know about. And he, in no uncertain terms, told me that I made a big mistake. And he doesn't want me to make those kind of mistakes. He wants me to do what he asked me to do, the way he asked me to do it. And if that was our relationship was going to continue uh, and he was going to trust me, I needed to learn how to do things the way he wanted to do them. And the big lesson was, and I still share this with the guys here today too, because I totally get where he was coming from. He told me this, I don't want to hear from someone else what I should have heard from you. I'm like, whoa, you're right. Our line of communication is first together. Even if I don't think, even whatever I think, I still should tell you so you're not blindsided and you know that you don't have to dig out of a hole that I somehow created. And, and it was a hard word. It was so hard that I, I was thinking about quitting. I was thinking about maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I don't know what, I mean, I knew I didn't know what I was doing, but I thought I did everything. I mean, it was one of those things where I thought I did everything right, and then I made this mistake, and I'm like, well, I don't, maybe this, I'm not cut out for ministry. Maybe I'm not. But the Lord was ministering to my heart. He didn't want me to quit. He wanted me to learn. He wanted me to humble myself. He wanted me to acknowledge that I don't know everything, and I'll never know everything, and that God would put people, God wanted me to know he's going to put people in my life that are going to train me, disciple me, and discipline me discipline me, correct me. And I love that about the shepherd. And every good shepherd in your life, every good under shepherd, part of his ministry, as much as you don't like it, part of his ministry will be discipline in your life. It'll be correction. And we ought to be ready to receive it so that we can grow in God's grace and God's knowledge. God wants me to continually be broken before him. In Psalm 51, verse 17, listen, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Brokenness, God is attracted to humility and brokenness. The rod and the staff are very comforting to us. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. After leaving the valley of shadows, we head out it back into the highlands, and there my shepherd takes care of me and feeds me. Shepherds, they know, they go out ahead and they scout out the land and survey the highlands looking for a place of nourishment. And the table here is not a normal table, but it has the picture of a table of a king that in the midst of predators, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of enemies, we have a shepherd that's there for us. 
Even as here in your church fellowship, you have under shepherds that are here for you. They are committed to you, to take care of you, to set up tables where you might enjoy a meal while you're protected and guarded. That there are people that would love to take advantage of you, false teachers, false teachings, people that would want to take from you, not give to you. People that would come to this church to pray on you, not pray with you. You get it? Pray, P-R-E-Y, to take advantage of you, not to pray with you. And so we as shepherds, under shepherds, we're to watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. We're to watch out for your lives. The Bible says that we're overseers of your souls. Now, if that's a relationship that God has given to us as humans, can you think of how good and how perfect and how well the good shepherd takes care of you and oversees you? Notice what he does. He anoints our heads with oil. The shepherd would anoint the sheep's head with oil because oil would be used as an ointment to bring healing to the wounds. Oil would be used as a lubricant to help minimize the friction between the sheep as they would butt heads with one another. It was also used as a repellent to protect from insects and keep a sheep calm. And you know as well as I do, Bible students, that oil in the Bible is often representative of the Holy Spirit. It's a type and a picture of the Holy Spirit. Can you picture for a moment the good shepherd pouring out his Holy Spirit upon you and upon me to heal, to reduce friction, to deal with pests, and and just to, to cover us so that our cup would run over. It would be overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. Would you hold your places here in Psalm? Go over to Galatians chapter 5 with me. I believe the spiritual application of this is a beautiful insight from Galatians chapter 5 that as, as our good shepherd anoints us with oil, the result is a tremendous outpouring of his spirit as we bear the fruit and the characteristics of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice with me in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And drop down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is so sweet. The Lord anoints us with oil so that we can be gentle to one another, loving and kind, that we could love each other in the name of Jesus Christ. He pours oil over us so that we might get along with each other and be that strong force in the world that so desperately needs Jesus. When we are biting one another, devouring one another, criticizing one another, hypercritical, finger pointing, sin sniffing, we are not a true representation of the love of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. 
You might win an argument. You might beat down another believer. You might take your Bible and use it as a sword to cut another brother down, but you are not representing the oil that you need. If that's you, listen, you don't need another YouTube video. You don't need another opinion. You need to be broken before the Lord and the oil of the Spirit of God to be poured upon. Your cup is empty, you criticizer. Your cup is empty, you complainer. Your cup is empty, you that is living in the flesh. You know, I'm telling you, we all get to a place of empty cups in the flesh. It's not just you, it's we. And when our cup is empty, oh, how the shepherd is gonna pour the oil of the Spirit of God upon our lives, that he would give us a fresh anointing. Remember what, what Paul wrote, he says, be ye filled, don't be drunk with wine. That's an easy one. He says, no, instead, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Be ye continually filled. Fill me up, Lord, because I get so empty. And this whole thing, it's, I'm sure there's just an emptiness, you know? This whole thing, it's like, man, Lord, I just need to be filled because I'm tired of it. And whatever, you fill in the blanks, I'm tired of it. But that's what he does. He pours out his oil, he anoints us, and so that our cup would run over, verse five. A sheep and his good shepherd, wow. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David speaking of the sovereign grace of God in his life. This is David's claim to fame. This is how, he's, this is how David, he, he becomes one of the, one of the top two of Bible verses in all of his human history, here's his claim to fame. It's not as a king, it's not as a warrior, it's not in any of the things that we know David for. What his claim to fame is, is David as a sheep, enjoying his shepherd. <laughs> of all the things we wanna be known for, all the things we wanna have a lasting legacy, may it be us being good sheep, trusting our good shepherd. Because we've done nothing to deserve the grace of God. We've done that. All we are is sheep. And we've done nothing to deserve where we are or what we have or what we get to do or what to get to be a part of. But God has, through the shepherd, surrounded us with goodness and mercy. And everywhere we go, goodness and mercy follow us. Isn't that great? Because I can see a stark contrast in my life. Before I was born again, I'm telling you, goodness and mercy did not follow me. What followed me was death and destruction and difficulty and hardship. And what I mean by following me, not just surrounding me personally, but everybody that I loved and everybody that cared for me, more so everybody that loved me, everyone that cared about me. Uh, mercy and goodness didn't follow me because I didn't follow the shepherd of mercy and goodness. Anytime you and I choose to look to our good shepherd filled with mercy and grace toward us, it's gonna follow us. We follow the shepherd, and his attributes follow us. I love that. And before we head out, I wanna share with you four things in summary. Just four simple things that would encourage you from this psalm, and I hope you jot them down. Number one, because my shepherd is in control, I can rest. Because my shepherd is in control, I can rest. When the temptation to get stressed out comes and the pressures of life push in, I can surrender my agendas and my plans in him 
and rest. Jot it down in 1 Chronicles 22:18. Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? Of course, this was spoken to in a time of war. It was spoken to in a time of the victories of God. But how much more in the spiritual realm has God given us rest from our enemies all around? Number one, he, he's in control, I can rest. Number two, because my shepherd cares, I can give him my burdens. Because my shepherd cares, I can give him my burdens. I have found that burdens have a tendency to fill up my hands, fill up my arms, and for me personally, fill up my mind. Where I can be somewhere per- physically, but, but mentally I'm somewhere else. Because I happen to be a worrier or a fretter. Or I, I have a, a keen ability to take something so small and in my mind blow it up to astronomical proportions. But as I remember that Jesus is my good shepherd and he cares for me, I can send my cares, no matter what the size are, to him. And a lot of times we can't even embrace those we love because we're carrying around so many burdens and cares in our lives. This psalm allows us to release our burdens to the Lord. I'm just a sheep. I can't solve the world's problems. And there's many problems even within the congregation I cannot solve. I don't know. But I know a shepherd. And he cares for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Thirdly, because my shepherd loves me, I trust him to guide my life. He's in control, I rest. He cares, I give. He loves, I trust. My shepherd knows me personally because he became like me. Some 2,000 years ago, the shepherd became a sheep. God came in human flesh. He became a man, was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. You see, Jesus had to die because we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. And Jesus knows what you go through. He knows the ups and downs. And that qualifies him to run my life and order my steps and guide my path. It's only in the shepherd's care that I find the quietness and calmness that I so desperately want when tough times come my way. Let me give you a fourth one. And this just came to me yesterday as I was teaching. As you review Psalm 23, you see in each verse a sense of staying put, of staying in one place, staying close to the shepherd. You know, the first one is just acknowledging he's your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'm close to him. He makes me lie down. That means to stay put, makes me lie down. I can't move. He says that even though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil because you are with me. There's a close proximity. You're with me. I won't fear. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me. Now, in order to have a table and eat, I've got to sit down and stay in one place at the table of the shepherd. In verse 6, it says that goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. Therefore, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, once again, staying put. I believe David tuned into something with the shepherd long before the good shepherd ever taught us. And let me just read it to you in John 15, because I want to read the whole verse to you. John 15, in verse 4. 
So David's already telling us, stay put, stay put, dwell, don't move, stay close to the shepherd. That's, your, that's my safest place. That's the only place I'm supposed to be in life is close to the shepherd. And what does Jesus say? I love this. Abide in me. This is John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Stay put, stay put, stay put. Don't run away. Don't quit. Don't turn to the left or to the right. How many times that's taught to us in the scriptures. The best place on the planet earth is to be found hidden in Christ and to stay close to him. Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Have you received his forgiveness? Do you walk and live in his strength today? Do you look to him for help, for hope? Jesus said this, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus also said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God is inviting you into a relationship with him right now. And I want to encourage you, if you for the very first time are ready to dedicate your life to following God, to surrender your life, to repent of your sins for salvation, I want you to do that right now. And I believe there are some listening in that need to make a commitment of rededication. That you would turn back to the Lord and stop messing around. Stop messing around in your mind. Stop messing around in your marriage. Stop messing around in your singleness. Stop messing around at work and get serious about the things of God and come back to him in dedicated, committed surrender to your shepherd. And I want you to do that now. Pray with me, would you? You can pray something along these lines. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I pray to you, God, my Savior, and I surrender my life to you today. I believe that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again for me. And I want to follow him all the days of my life. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.